Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Genesis chapter 4 this morning. Our text we will consider um, will be verses 1 through 7. Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 7. <clears throat> if you think about it, okay, this is, we've made it to the fourth chapter. It is the fourth month, so we are making good time. I can assure you at this pace, we will easily be done the book of Genesis by 2026. So you have good news before you. I have already been blessed this morning. Thank you, Matt, and the rest for leading us in worship and hearing your voices as you just lift them up, singing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. I want to welcome you this morning, especially if this is your first time to Bigwoods Bible Church. And with that, I want to um, acknowledge and recognize someone special with us. Silas Skinner Red K um, is here. <clears throat> Although officially he's been here for nine months, you can officially greet him. But no ministry questions to Pastor Stewart at all, okay? He's the guy with sunglasses on. You don't know who he is today. <clears throat> Would you bow your heads and pray with me once again as we just ask the Lord's blessing as we open his word and Lord willing learn from him this morning. Would you pray with me? Father we are amazed, thankful, we are blessed beyond measure when we consider who you are in your holiness that you Lord in perfect perfection, desire a relationship with us. And we're amazed. We thank you, Lord, for every single person that is here. I pray, Lord, for people that are going through and, and sense at this moment an unusual burden upon them. Lord, that you would minister to hearts. May you encourage us. May you strengthen our faith when it is weak. May you, Lord... Allow us to see you and to hear from you in a way that we've never heard before. We thank you for your word that is perfect, that never returns void. And Lord, I would pray that you would please, please help me in this process. Help my mind and my mouth. May everything that is said and done bring glory to you. Exalt the name of Jesus. We ask this in his amazing name. Amen. And amen. Okay, very quickly, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we had a general account, kind of a broad, high-level account of the creation narrative, really revealing who the creator is. We were introduced to the trinity. We were introduced to the sovereignty of God. Chapter 2 gave us a little bit more detail, specific retelling of how God did this, forming man from the dust of the earth, breathing into him the breath of life, the Imago Dei. We learned of things such as the relationship Adam and Eve had with God and with one another, intimacy and innocence. Genesis chapter 3, we saw what it all, it all just comes crashing down. And they fell short. They disobeyed. They ate the forbidden fruit and suffered consequences, as we saw in vivid detail, judgment and curse. Beginning with the serpent, what? He was eating of dust. And ultimately, what? The, the prophetic crushing of the head in what will be a humiliating, humiliating defeat. For the woman, there was enmity and pain and contention between she and her husband. And for man, there was what? Thorns and thistles and sweats. And to dust you shall return. Death. But yet here, I want you to understand, there is, there is, still, there is still a plan. There is good news yet to be unfurled. And God, as a God of great grace that he is, although he has banished Adam and Eve from the garden, he still offers promise and he still offers blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Here it is. Here's our text. The words will be in front of you on the screen. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Genesis 4. 1 through 7, the word of the Lord. Now Adam 
knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And, and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruits of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Here it is. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. The word of the Lord. What has happened here? There is a gift of intimacy between a husband and a wife that brought Eve to rejoice and Eve uses this phrase, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It is an indication of optimism and joy that exists. Even experiencing, which we know and we talked about, increased pain of childbirth as a consequence of the fall. There's what? There's hope here. The mother of all living. Can, can you just imagine for a moment, never having witnessed a pregnancy before. Whoa! And not only what? Not only do we see a baby boy, but we see what? Shortly thereafter, another baby, two boys. The eldest, Cain, walks in his father's footsteps and becomes a farmer, a tiller of the land, a gardener, while the younger brother, Abel, becomes a shepherd. Both of them are honorable occupations. And it's obvious here, I love this, that a father was leading, a father was teaching his sons. Just stop just briefly for a moment. Can I remind you dads, fathers here, grandfathers that are here, that's our responsibility to point, to point people, to point our sons and our daughters to purpose. Old Mr. Dodd, as the Puritan John Dodd was often referred to, is quoted as saying this, and I quote, Give them a Bible and a calling, and God be with them. I, re I, remember, I remember when my mom and my dad dropped me off to college. When you're number three of four kids, okay, it's just kind of like just move them on. I, I literally, I remember getting to college, like I had my Bible, a toothbrush, I had a baseball glove, and like there wasn't a whole lot more. It was just like, that's it. Do something with your life, but make sure it includes this word right here. I think that's exactly what Adam was doing as he steers his boys toward work, toward what? A worthy occupation, and most importantly, he steers them toward worship. At this point, early on in the narrative, I, I think it's like, it's pretty clear. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward as far as what's happening. Yet it is in this text that we not only get a glimpse, as we will see, of an external act, the sacrifice that has been offered. We're actually given what I call, in kind of blunt terms, an all-important inside scoop as to what's happening here. Two points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this. We get a view. We get an inside view of one's heart. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. 
So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Like many texts of Scripture, there can be great misunderstanding, and as a result of that misunderstanding, there can become what? Bad teaching or misrepresentation. This text is actually one of them. There, there is great confusion and misrepresentation. Remember I told you on numerous occasions, I said that Genesis is foundational. If you, if you get this book wrong, you're going to get a lot of Scripture wrong. Therefore, it is here in this text that we learn something, and we learn something that it's later the prophet Micah emphasizes, and it's on the all-important, ever-important subject of worship and offering back a portion of what God has blessed us with. Micah chapter 6, verse 7 says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Rhetorical question. Will the Lord be pleased with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. He has told you what the Lord requires of you. And here it is, what? To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly. With your God. This means what? As we introduce this subject, this means God is not as concerned with what the sacrifice is. He is more concerned with why we sacrifice, and He's more concerned with how the sacrifice is given. You understand that? We know very little of the boys Cain and Abel growing up. Matter of fact, to be perfectly honest, we really know nothing. Of Cain and Abel growing up. And I would guess, I, I have an older brother. I kind of get a little bit of a glimpse. <clears throat> I've watched our son's sons. We have three grandsons. And I think it's, it's pretty typical. There's just lots, lots of, of movement and energy. Our daughter-in-law, Emily, is one of three daughters. And now she has three sons. And this is totally new for her. And she constantly is asking, like, what is this? Like, they don't stop. There's constant movement, wrestling. There's fighting and racing and competing and throwing. And there's scrapes and bruises and bloody noses. I remember being chased. I was the little brother. I was being chased by my big brother. And I, I knew that he was going to catch me. He was always faster than me. So I tried to outsmart him. As I, as I got to the, the top of a, of a steep, it was a short, steep hill, and there was a tree. I grabbed a rock, and I, got, and I hid behind the tree, and I just waited for him to come up to the top. I remember jumping out and throwing the rock and hitting him perfectly in the head and as he rolls back down I realize and my father later reminded me that is a what not to do <laughs> throwing rocks at your brother but we also don't know if the brothers were in the habit of offering sacrifices or, or was this the first time if I were to surmise I would I would I would suggest probably, probably it's somewhat regularly that this is happening because it says in the course of time, which is usually pointing to a specific period of time, probably the end of harvest when sacrifices were usually offered, were usually presented. But the big question here is this. Why was Abel's sacrifice accepted, but Cain's was not? That, that's the question of the ages for right here. This is where many people are misled. And the presumption is what? Is what? The presumption is that a blood sacrifice, probably a lamb, is somehow better than a harvest offering. Than what? A turnip. Let, let, me, let me make something very clear here. So if you underline your Bible or underscore or highlight or bold letters, exclamation points, make something very clear. They're not. Okay, animal offerings are not superior to grain offerings. 
The context that we have here offers nothing to support that. It would be a great mis- it would be a grave mistake to think that because the Old Testament honors both types of offerings. So rather the answer as to the question why was Cain's offering not accepted is given in the following verses. Thank you Pastor Robbie for spoiling that with our little ones this morning. It says this. Here's the answer. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the grounds. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and, and of their fat portions. Rabbinic commentators are very careful here. To note the detail to these words that we just read, and you can underscore them. Firstborn. Fat. It speaks of the best portions, the most suitable for eating the steak that has been described for us. The best portions, most suitable for for trading. The rabbinic commentators are using words like that as intentional descriptions that give indication that Abel gave God what? The pick of the flock, the best of the best of the flock. Whereas Cain was indifferent about his offering. And Abel was careful about his. Cain was indifferent about his offering. And Abel was careful about his. The difference here is what? This is the inside scoop. This is an attitude of the heart that exists. Cain comes on his own terms. And Abel comes on God's terms. Cain actually kept back the best for himself. And Abel, in a demonstration of faith, as Pastor Aaron read from Hebrews chapter 11, offers the best. And some people are like, that's like, you're getting a lot from two words here. First fruits and fats. Is that a bit of a... How do, how do we know this? How, do, can we, how can we say that so confidently? The rest of Scripture. Let me remind you again. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. I love this. And through his faith, Though he died, he lived a relatively short life. Though he died, he still speaks. Abel was modeling something for us to hold on to. He's teaching us how you and I today are to come to God. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Listen to the Apostle John. We should not be like Cain. Who, uh, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. We'll get to that next week. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. His deeds were evil. His heart was darkened. Jude, verse 11, actually a warning to false teachers says, Woe to them, for they walked, and there's a description in the way of Cain. A revelation of one's hearts. Let's just pause here for a moment on the way of Cain, the condition of a heart, before we get to what, what he actually does with his hands. At some level, you'd almost think like, it could just be like an innocent mistake. Harmless, careless oversight, kind of in, in oops moments. But, but what's happening is that it actually reveals the heart. You realize that we are instructed repeatedly through Scripture, what? You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus actually taught what? That we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Who what is the ultimate perfect sacrifice? 
in the, the brief glimpse that we have of 33 years here on earth, we see the picture of Jesus lived a perfect life without any sin. What? He had brothers. And there was no what? Let's hide behind a tree and throw a rock at the rest. It's perfect. So that he is a what? A lamb without blemish that is offered as a sacrifice for your and my sins. And just think about it. I know my own heart. I'm undeserving of that gift of grace. Think about what is represented in a room this size with this many people. And yet God says what? I love the world so much. I offer my own son. Yet whoever believes in the sacrifice that was paid on the cross, the shedding of his blood, will have everlasting life. Can I ask you this? How do you approach God? Just, just pause. How, how, how do you approach God? How much thought, preparation do you put into your serving and your sacrifice? Oh, shoot, isn't it my week to serve this week? What am I supposed to be doing? And we, we race around at last moment. How many people even want approached worship this morning? Ugh. Not another one. Hey, do, do you know? Do you know? Do you know where like my other sock is? I can't find my other sock. And people in a what? In in a rushed, in a hurried, in almost a careless, flippant way. And yet, as we gather and we lift up our voices, we sing together in what 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 seems to me perfect sound. Holy, 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 Lord. God Almighty. How much thought? How do you approach God? How, how do you offer your offerings? It, we just, we just kind of click a button online somewhere, and I don't know what happens after that. And there's no thoughts. Whereas, whereas what? We, we just were introduced to a, a little girl that we know well. I remember when Ellen was just a little tiny thing, and she's growing up to offer her life. To go to a place that most of us, what? We can't pick out on a map. And if we pick it out on a map, we're probably not wanting our children to go there. Think of how we need to pray not only for Ellen and her team, but for dear Bill and Tara as mommy and daddy as well, who offer what? Here's our firstborn. It's, it's everything. It's everything. It's, it's the way that we lift up our voice. It's how we prepare to worship. It's using the gifts that God has given to you, not what to check off a box. This is what we offer to God as a result of what he has done for us. I can't, I can't help but think of, when I think of this text of the Gospels in Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 21. May, may I remind you what it says in Mark 12, 41. It says that Jesus sat down. And this is interesting. I'm kind of like, we're not supposed to watch. Wait, God can do what he wants to do. It says that Jesus came to the temple. He sat down and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And I just kind of, there's boxes here. Same idea. And he just kind of watched. Like, we're not supposed to watch. God can do what he wants. And, and when he saw what people putting large amounts, it's not about what is, it's how it's given and why. I, I just picture, and I want to meet this lady someday. You can talk to her after I talk to her, okay? I just see this little widow, and she's kind of, what, with a walking cane and bent over, and she's kind of shuffling. In my heart, I'm like, come on, old lady, speed it up. And she, she kind of just puts in her, her, little, her little tiny bit. And with that clink, Jesus, he says, hey, guys, come over here. Come over here. Come, 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 come over here. Sit down. Peter, be quiet. Did you see that? That's what I'm talking about. They gave up their wealth. She gave what? She put in, it literally says, she put in 
everything. Do you realize that God sees how you approach him? God sees how you approach him. Let me, let me add to that. God cares with how you approach him. Ever, ever, of course you have. You ever wing it before? You know what I mean? Where you kind of just, you know the final's coming and you kind of stay up all night. You're kind of cramming for it. And you're like, you're just kind of winging it. And somehow, somehow you get by with it. You come out with the, the B minus, the C plus. And you're like, what's, what's worse than winging it? I'll tell you what's worse is, is getting away with it. Because then what's happened is that you are tempted to try it again. I've never been intelligent enough to wing it before. And so at some level, there's this responsibility for some of you that have this ability to kind of like wing it. You, you do realize that that little idea, that does not work with God. You will never slip one by. The crowd was pretty big, and so nobody really noticed me. No, it doesn't work like that, not with God. Is there, has there ever been a presumption in your sacrifice? I'm sure God doesn't really mind. My second best, after all, I got a lot of needs. A lot of me here. So I'm sure that God doesn't mind that you realize that is exactly what Cain did that's exactly what he did thus what you ever tried to do that you ever tried to like slip one by offer your second best you ever do that do you realize you better be prepared for not only if but when God rejects you are less than worshipful offering. God says, I don't want it. I don't need it. Not that. Not with that heart. You be prepared for that. And you can be certain of this. The pain of your creator having no regard is severe. The pain of your creator who says what? I don't want it. is so severe. And yet what's interesting here is that pain that, that, that Cain felt, the pain that Cain experienced of the creator, the one he's worshiping, having no regard, the pain didn't bring repentance. It didn't bring remorse. It actually brought what? The same reaction to you that you have in your own heart when God somehow what? Says, I don't want that. It actually brought anger, intense anger. It actually says what, there's a little word, he says that he was very angry. Now, I, I personally find, I'm fascinated, I'm fascinated with this. This is stuff about people that I just love. I find it fascinating here that the way of Cain, Jude 11, or what we refer to as what, the heart of Cain is actually revealed and it becomes evident on the face of Cain. Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now there's various translations that say that his, his face was downcast. It says that his face was dejected. Another translation said that his face was gloomy. I, I love the wording of the old um, King James. I memorized this when I was a kid, that he was very wroth and his countenance fell. Th think about this for a moment. Like it or not, your face often reveals the condition of your heart. Tim at bigwoods.org. Just make sure that you send whatever. Because like, like I'm allowed to be grumpy. Like that, my daddy was grumpy, so I'm allowed to be grumpy. No. No, your face often reveals the condition 
of your heart. Now, sure thing, you can paint on a smile for a little while, okay? And you may even fool other people. But let me remind you what? You will never, ever, ever fool God. You can't slip one by him. You can't wing it. He will see and he will know your true heart. And eventually it will be revealed to all. Number one, we get a view of one's heart. Secondly, we get a voice of warning. And this warning is for everyone. A voice of warning for all. If you, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. And the admonition here, the instruction is, you must rule over it. It's easy. Many people read this and they just automatically think like, God is, man, he's kind of like tough. God kind of cruel here. These are kind of like unrealistic expectations. Isn't God kind of being overly picky here? Like there's, there's not like a lot and he's just like, and that is so far, that is so far from the truth. God is actually being kind and he's being gracious as he reaches out to Cain very gently and he asks a question to this seething, angry man and he asks a legitimate question. Why are you angry? Why is your face like this? Why is it fallen? If you do well, God wants him to do well, then you will be accepted. God is a God of grace, and he actually is showing care here, and he's showing concern. God desires for Cain to do well. Much the same for all of mankind. We are created in his image to reflect him in all. Which means God desires for us to live right, to live righteous, to live holy and pure and unmixed. God desires for us to live a fruitful and a purposeful and a full life. God desires that for us, to live a, a life of fullness and of joy. A life of peace. God longs for you to live like that. And to make a clear point... He personifies sin, and he gives it this description. But an inanimate object kind of makes it animate. Personification, that sin is what? Crouching at your door. Which means, in a sense, what you've seen. This is what one who is ready to pounce, ready to attack, ready to destroy. And you have to realize here that the sin was what? Was, was Cain's own sin. As one commentator suggested, the beast was within him. In addition to our own desires, you can be certain what? We talked about this this past fall, that the enemy watches you and listens to you, and tempts you, and uses your desires against you. And he takes no prisoners. The apostle Peter describes him as what? Like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Think about it. The enemy often uses the pull of our own emotions. What are things that we feel? We feel fearful. We feel jealous at times, lustful, pride, there's selfishness. We feel angry. And those things, in a sense, are pouring gasoline. It fuels the fire of our own heart that the prophet Jeremiah describes what our heart is deceitful. It says desperately wicked. Let me ask you if, if this sounds familiar. There's a pastor, he planted a church in Tennessee as if Tennessee needed any more churches, but that's okay, that's another point. Christ Community Church. His name is Scotty Smith. And he writes this, and he's so accurate. See, see, if, this, see, see if this resonates. Scotty Smith says, Pastor Smith says, I'm always vulnerable to the destructive power of sin. 
but it seems like I am especially vulnerable when there's some kind of emotional upheaval that's going on inside of me. Like Cain. When I'm angry and sulking about something or someone, Abel, I can easily be had by sin, giving in to its desire, its seductive and destructive ways. End quote. Yeah, ever, ever feel at some point in your life like you're more vulnerable? At some times than others, like you just feel like I just, it's just boiling. And it doesn't take a whole lot. And that's the instruction. It says what? We must rule over it. I am so blessed. I am so blessed knowing that every time we open the word of God, it never returns void. On that very thought, can I tell you this? That there is at least one. I can assure you, there's at least one person that is sitting here this morning and they need to hear these words of the Lord whispering to you, to you. And they're asking, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Why does your face look like that? How do we do this? We rule over sin. And we need to, and by God's grace, we've been given everything that we need to be victorious over sin. Three things very quickly. Number one, you need to look up. First and foremost, recognize the holiness of God. We don't approach him however he wants. We look up, we recognize the sufficiency of Christ's perfect sacrifice. I'm so thankful for the reminder that we have in just a moment of Christ's what? Body that was broken and blood that was poured out. See, look up and see the sufficiency Everything has been paid for. He cried out, it is finished. What? The veil was rent and we have access. Jesus didn't stay dead. He desires for you and I to walk in the newness of life. We look up and we see the holiness of God, the sufficiency of Christ, and the Holy Spirit's power at work in our life. Do you realize what he offers you at the very moment of salvation. His own presence that says what? We walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify, fulfill the desires or the lusts of the flesh. God is not someone you casually kind of mess around with, people. It says what? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Not only do we look up, but we are to look within and see the tendency in our own hearts. Every day I wake up and I'm reminded of that. And we need to be willing immediately to not only confess, but repent daily to turn from our sin. The psalmist, what? David kind of knew something about sin. There's a murderer like Cain. And he writes what in Psalm 139? Search me, O God. And see if there be any wicked way in me. I love how it says in Ephesians chapter 4. And I oftentimes remind husbands and wives about this. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Some of you are struggling with anger and, and, and it's directed toward a particular person. Don't, don't, don't let the sun set today before you go and you ask for forgiveness and you confess and repent we look up to see god we look within to see our own sinfulness thirdly and finally we look outward and what you need to do is you need to invite other people into your life to help to point out do you realize this other people are going to be the ones that god uses in your life to point out when your emotions are totally out of control because you're not always going to see it you invite other people to speak into your life. And they will, if they are good, faithful brother or sister, Lord, they're going to ask you, why does your face look like that? Why is your face falling? What's going on? And we need one another as we strive to do that. Ecclesiastes says what's written by arguably the most wise man who ever lived in the history of the world. He says, woe to the one who is alone. When he stumbles, he's got nobody there to pick him up. We live 
in fellowship and communion and koinonia. We'll get to it next week, but a little bit of spoiler alert. You are your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. But thankfully, we are reminded that we are given everything that we need. We are given what? The holiness of God and the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, the power of the Holy Spirit working within us to reveal to us where what we desperately fall short and that we need one another to help point us towards reminding us. What is it that we need to be reminded of more than anything else? What is it that it says you have to regularly remember this and, and here is where we are taking in Scripture Every single time, do this regularly. Remember what I've done for you. And that's the communion table. And we know that what our sin deserves the very worst. Eternal separation. God stepped in and he offered his own son. And we know the setting in the upper room the very night that Jesus Christ was betrayed. Before he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and was arrested. Before he was what tried and crucified he gathered with those that were closest to him his disciples and he said I'm, I'm in a sense i'm going to give you an object lesson because we remember things when we see it and when we touch it we remember something when we what smell it and when we taste it that's exactly what jesus did with the disciples he said i want to give you a picture he said and he took some bread and he broke the bread he said, this is a picture of my body. My body's going to be broken. And then after he broke the bread, they passed around. They all took a bite of it. They tasted it. In a sense, identifying with the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ offered. It's, it's this pivotal. This is, identifies us as what we are as a local church. We gather together, what, listen to the preaching of God's word, sing songs together, and remember the communion table. Everything rises and falls on the hope that exists in the gospel and the gospel alone. Jesus also took the fruit of the vine when he was with his disciples and he poured it out. And he said, this is a picture of my blood that's going to be poured out for you. And then they passed it around. They all took a sip. Saying what? Without the shedding of blood, blood holds life. Blood offers life. Without the shedding of blood, the pouring out of Christ's blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sin. And we know that Abel's sacrifice that was offered clearly what points to as the law was established. Something that is looked at and recognized as being significant because blood was shed. And we know that what? There was this distance that existed of having to bring animal after animal and offering after offering to atone for sin. And yet, thankfully, we don't have to do that any longer because there was one, there was one that was sacrificed. The only one who lived perfect and blameless. As a local church, I remind people Every single Sunday that we remember the communion table. If you are a believer, you've acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, then I would encourage you, please, today, take this. And when you take the bread, when you eat and drink the cup, be reminded, look back to what Jesus Christ has done. Look within at this very moment of what Jesus Christ is doing. And how the Holy Spirit works and empowers. And we look forward to a time when what? Ultimate life, eternal life. And we celebrate and anticipate the coming of the Lord. I'm going to ask the elders and, and deacons, they're going, to, they're going to come forward. And the way we do it here, if you've not been with us before, is we have various stations around. I think there's six of them. And they're going to come, and, and what I'm going to encourage you to do is, is they prepare to serve you, that, that you would just take a moment in the quietness of your own hearts and pray and thank the Lord. Just as David prayed, what, in Psalm 139, search my heart, O God, see if there's any wicked way in me. Confess sin. 
If you need to go to a brother or a sister and make things right, take the time to do that. We're in no rush. And then after a moment where we just search our hearts and examine, I'd encourage you to go to one of the stations that are close to you. The men will serve you. You go back to your seats and we'll partake of that together. I want to be respectful as well and remind you that if you are not a believer here this morning, you have not acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, could I respectfully ask that you not take it? It would be meaningless. However, today, it says in Scripture, is the day of salvation. Today can be the day you recognize your need for a Savior and that there's only one, his name is Jesus. And when you place your faith in his work, accept him and desire to follow him as Lord, he calls the shots, then by all means, I welcome you to the table.
What a wonderful reminder of the grace that is given. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that we are given a privilege to worship you and to remember what you've done. And as we now take of this bread, we eat the bread and we drink the cup. Lord, may your spirit work deep within us to stir within the, the, the gratitude of your grace and of your gift and that would motivate us to live in holiness, to, to live worshipful lives, to please you, to honor you, to bring glory to your name. Bless this and guide us to be a church that hugs, holds tight to the good news of the gospel in all times. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the very night in which he was betrayed, says that he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said this. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May he come quickly. May the Lord bless you.